Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Black Creates Connect podcast, where myself, your host, Alicia Latoya, speaks to some of the most incredible, accomplished, inspirational Black entrepreneurs and professionals. And today, I have, I always have legends on my podcast, but I feel like I've got something beyond that. I've got an, an OG on the podcast today is David McQueen. Welcome, welcome. He's an entrepreneur, professional facilitator, a world-class speaker, executive coach, all of the above. Um, so welcome, David. Welcome. Thank you. I like being uh, called an OG, right? I can work with that. I can work with that. Uncle and OG are my new labels. I can work with them. Oh, no. What have I done? <laughs> no, it's... I love it. I love it, man. I'm not in denial. I'm going to be 54 tomorrow. Let me just own my age, right? Let me own oh. Is it? Well, happy birthday for tomorrow. You look very young. You know, we try, you know, look like cocoa butter, good loving, everything is nice, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um... I mean, one of the key things, I'm, this week, I remember I saw you at the event at, at Radar, and I just want to first of all, um, first of all, start by asking you a question about why you do your first exercise. For those that don't know, what David got us to do at this event that I went to is hold our hands up and um, shake them and touch our cheeks and noses. I think it was our cheeks and noses. And um, yeah, why why do you get us to do that? Because I saw you do it with another talk as well. What's the what's the reason behind that? Because people listen more to what you do than what you say. Right. Okay. And why do you want us to learn that at the start of every talk, out of interest? Because a lot of times when people come into a space, they're not really present, and mm. it's very easy to go in there and fill people up with hype. But people can hear words all day. But it's the action that you take is going to be a lot more important than words. Got you. Got you. So out of interest, what made you, and I know that's that's important for you to to kind of start off with so people can kind of pay attention. Was that something that was taught to you or did you kind of pick that up, pick that up over time? People weren't paying attention from the beginning. Yeah, I saw it a long time ago and I thought this is a brilliant exercise. It's about grounding. It's around being in a space and being present in that space. And it's I, I also recognize that whenever I'm going to speak or I'm, I'm going to host, I've got a few seconds to get your attention and get you both intellectually. And I've got to ground you on a physical level as well. How do I do that? Through how I speak and through what I do. Once I've grounded you on those two elements, I've got your attention. I just build on it from there. So it's just my way as a speaker of going, right, let me get some credibility with you and ground, uh, get be really grounded, be very present and be able to connect with you in the room. Okay, that makes sense. I'm going to take that from you and I'm going to use it for any workshops that I've done. <laughs> so Do I have permission to take that? <laughs> you take it and run with it. Yeah. I'll, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll credit you. I'll say this is from David McQueen, the OG, um, FYI. So that's fine. But just to take it back, so one of the key things that I like to do on my podcast before talking about what you're currently doing at the moment, I like to understand um, everyone's start out in life especially as um, a black professional as well, because everyone has, um, I guess, completely different stories and experiences that you know we can learn from. So first things first, um, talk to me about your childhood, your upbringing, if you can remember, who was young David, um, what, what kind of key things inspired you? Just give us a round of kind of summary of your childhood. So said, if you can remember, and I said I'm 54, you know, not 112. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, all right, let me behave myself. No, I'm not gonna behave myself, I never behave. Um uh born, born in St. Mary's Hospital Paddington in London. Okay. So both of the princes, Prince William and Prince Harry were born in, but you know, obviously. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um grew up in Northwest London, parents are from the Caribbean, mum is Bajan, dad is Grenadian. They both came here in the late sixties. Uh, I was born in 1969, last year of the 60s. Um, grew up in a really um, loving, supportive black community um, in Northwest London, in, in Harlesden. Um, always was surrounded by excellence and trash in equal measure. Let's keep it real. Um, saw some really good role models. Also saw some ones that I'm like, I never want to be like you ever. 
Is um, it? Yeah, of course, man. Easily, yeah. But always we're surrounded by, like, and sometimes it shocks me in, in a bit because I know a lot of people haven't had that experience, but I went to a church, and in my church we had somebody who worked for the World Bank, we had doctors, we had nurses, we had architects, we had engineers. And so the aspirations to do well were always quite high. We had a very good, strong social mix. And it was um, predominantly from the Caribbean. Um, so Jamaica, Grenada, Guyana, Barbados, Antigua, Trinidad was all part of that, um, that mix. And, and it really strongly shaped the kind of identity and the person who I am because it made me realize um, a lot of the crap some of that generation had to go through when they came here first mm -hmm. and realized that they were working hard to give us a better future. And I really loved that. I was quite sporty, I used to sing, I used to do poetry, I used to play in an orchestra, I used to do all them kind of thing. Um, was always quite academic as well, had to be. My parents mm -hmm. were one of them. If you come home with an A, what happened to the A star? If you come home with a 99%, always a 100%, mm -hmm. um, which, in certain times, it used to really tick me off. Um, mm. but on, and on the other hand, I was just like, it reminded me that what they wanted me to do was set myself apart because I was going to go out into a world that was full of prejudice and full mm. of individuals who would not be as talented as, talented as me or as gifted as me. Mm. But by the of the fact that they weren't black, they would get a pass and they would get a bligh. Um, and so a lot of that was quite strong in the upbringing that I had. And, and I kind of mm -hmm. said, I really loved it. House full of music, house full of food, house full of always, we always had young people, which is, I, I became a youth worker slightly later in my, in my life because I saw that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was good. No problems. Obviously, I got licks like everybody else in that era. <laughs> and, yeah. I know that um, both you and Madeline as well grew up SDA, like yes. myself as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know... Yeah, I grew up SDA as well, and yeah. I know the strict upbringing, the yeah, Friday yeah. nights, yeah, yeah. church all day, That's you're right. preaching at nine years old, <laughs> you're, you're, there's so many things. Uh, Come on now. Yeah, yeah, you're, there's so many things that I think have actually led to um, my confidence as well, actually. Um, in regards to, I guess, going to church, what influence do you think that had? So I know you said that you you were surrounded by greatness, excellence. That was one of the key things. Yeah, yeah. What other things do you think um, church contributed towards who the man you are, like the man who you are today? Oh, definitely confidence, without a shadow of a doubt. Like, mm -hmm. again, as you said, you know, look, for those who don't know, every quarter or every 13th Saturday or what we call 13th Sabbath, we had a 13th Sabbath program. Yeah. You were <laughs> under the age of 12. You were up there. You were singing banging one instrument, repeating your memory verse pieces of scripture. And there was no, I'm going to be shy. You can cry. You get one look in the back of your head, right? You have to go up there and go and you do, have to it. do it. But then it made you realize, then you go into spaces when you're older and you're like, like, what are you worried about? Like, we've been doing this since we were like six or seven. We own that space. We there, we deserve to be there. So there's yeah. a lot of stuff around confidence. Now, I, I moved, so I, myself and my best friend, we started teens ministry in the church um, oh that started with you yeah me and my best friend paul we started teens ministry. ah okay paul, paul, paul so we both we both started um started that up um and that was an extension of the the stuff that i loved doing as a youth worker um and it was lovely we used to do the we used to do um trips out to wales and Aberdaran. we went to cornwall we went to um peterborough we went all kidderminster we went all over the country so, so did you start teen camp as well? Yeah. Oh, but you started that because I went when I was younger. Oh, yeah. We started. That. I'm definitely talking to an OG now. Wow. Proper, proper old school boy. And it and and it was it was interesting because what we did is we pushed a lot of boundaries in that space as well. So, like, for many kids, they went to church, and in their churches growing up, they never had any form of musical instrument outside of the organ and the piano. We come to teens camp or teens ministry and we got the bass, we got the guitar, we got the drums, we got percussion. Mm. We have full on praise and worship will be like a whole hour and a bit and people are singing and just, and it used to, when well, we used to do that in camp meeting, we used to write mm. some of the elders because like, they were like, we want our child to come home. And I, I said to them, go, go for lunch. Or half past one quarter to two, they ain't going anywhere because they're staying in the room because there was a camaraderie there. Um, we took a lot of stick from it as well. I was one of those, um, quite a bit of an early pioneer, myself and Paul around safeguarding. So we really wanted to make sure all the teens that worked with us were protected. 
and mm. that you know there weren't um, individuals who were suspect and who did not know how to carry themselves around young people. There mm. are a lot of stuff around safeguarding. Um, one of the other things as well, and this is one of the reasons why I left church and kind of like got sidelined, is I was a strong advocate for not demonizing people who were LGBT plus. So if somebody was gay or lesbian or bisexual, yeah. I didn't really know the narrative around trans at that time, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. But there were individuals who were struggling and I'm like, I ain't gonna judge you. I just wanna listen yeah. to you, tell me, tell me what's going on. I will hold yeah. your confidence or your trust. And sometimes there were parents who found out that I had held their trust instead of trying to convert them or trying to get them to be baptized and all that kind of stuff. I'm not yeah. the young person who's just struggling. And, yeah. and it's so interesting actually, many years afterwards, I'm, I'm a big, um, uh, I've, I've since then I've been to places like Black Pride and all, and whatever, and I've seen so many of the youngsters I saw many years before. I see them, and sometimes they wouldn't. Even, I saw a couple of people they wouldn't even like want me to see them. I'm like, okay, first and foremost, man, I've loved you from back then, and I love you now. I don't go to church. Why are you hiding me through it? And we're banging in the middle of Pride anyway. Why are you trying to hide? Me? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. It, it was it. It sh it definitely shaped me in terms of my confidence, but it also caused pain because of the dogma and because people were more concerned with being religious than being loving. I understand completely. And I, I don't want to go on a, on a tangent about that before my dad calls me and tells me off, but I understand that. Um, just to kind of go through, I know we've got a limited amount of time, so I really want to get through so many points with you. So I know that you, early in your career, you started off in accounting yes. and IT. Why did you end up doing that initially? And then why did you pivot from that? Just talk me through yeah. that process. I've always loved business. One of my first businesses started when I was 14 in school. I ran a tuck shop. It was better than the school tuck shop. I made more money than them. Four times more money than them. They shot me. Down. Legally or, or legally, David? I started illegally. Okay. Because I was just doing a thing, bringing it in my sports bag. But then word spread because obviously it was really popular because like you could get three products from the main tuck shop. With mine, you got nine. All right. So then I got pulled into the headmaster's office. He was like, David, David, David. I was like, sir, I'm just trying to, you know, just trying to be creative. He goes, all right, you know what? You can do it for a month. He set up a table. He gave me a table in the lower playground. So we had a lower playground, you know, what was, what you'd probably call now year seven to nine. Mm. I was like, first, second and third year. Mm. And then you had the fourth and fifth going up. Mm. Yeah, they couldn't come into the lower playground. So they couldn't buy mm. from buy from me so they thought mm. they had me on lock because they were like the older students will have more money mm. I'm like, younger students here's some stuff that you can buy for your brother your sister your cousin your because obviously everybody in the older years multiplied mm. that up made beer money and obviously the thing is as well with the permission which is quite good and i really rated my school for this because i had permission to do it i was mm. making a lot of money and i had to carry the money back mm. with the teacher to the headmaster's office so it could be counted up and I was glad for that because I was thinking the amount of money that I made, if I was walking down the road with that amount, that man would have jumped me and beat up my <laughs> And then what am I gonna what am I gonna tell the shop man? Like somebody came and jumped me. Yeah. Um, but I made more money than them. Um, a lot more money than them. And uh, essentially they shut me down. I was like, you know, it's calm anyway, because I did it because I wanted to get some new mum and dad didn't know mum and dad didn't appreciate that Adidas was not just because you had stripes on it. You don't go shoe zone or Curtis and just pick up the next one with stripes. It was important that it had Adidas on it. It didn't get that. And my, my friends used to call me Adidas four stripe because I said four stripe. <laughs> all right. Good thing I could cuss, you know, because otherwise that, that trauma. Um, <laughs> I, but, uh, I So anyway, I made I made made the money, got my experience, put some money in the bank, and that's what I needed. But it, it created a thirst for me to do other things, and I started to do other things and sell little bits and bits all the way through school and through college so I was always entrepreneurial even to this day as I said we between me and Mads we like four we want about five businesses that we own between and Absolutely. we invest in others it's always been entrepreneurial so finance was an emergence out of that like I had to do the migrant my parents wanted me to go uni and mm -hmm. I had to do the migrant four right I call it the migrant four law finance engineering or something to do with medicine right mm -hmm. I'm like I went to do law hated it hated it and was doing I say this now so I feel really bad about it but I used to be doing two ministry I used to always do nightclub promotions long story I got over it I'm in therapy 
Um, but um, <laughs> it's I, fine. It was years ago. It was a long time ago. Don't worry. I made peace with it. I made peace with it. Um, but I always wanted to know how to make sure that I could manage my money properly. And so I went into an industry which has allowed me to do that. And all my, I remember working, all my bosses wanted me to study to be an accountant. I thought, I don't want to be an accountant. I just want to understand how money works. I'll take um, it as far as I can go. And then while I was doing it, I was learning Excel skills, database skills. And I was like, oh, I can morph into IT. So I um, went and I still did financial man management reporting, but I did it. I morphed that into IT to, to understand the systems and what have you. But between both of them, and literally since I've been about 18, lots of people have come to me to go, can you give me skills around doing an interview or speaking in public or being confident? Well, I've been from time. Really? Out of nowhere? Like, like when I was in college, people used to go, like, I'm going for an interview for, I'm, I'm getting ready to go uni. Can I do my practice yeah. interview with you? Really? Like, they said, yeah, I saw you speak in a school assembly. I saw you do something. Can I go and do that? And again, I made money out of it, right? So I had a little kind of like, I had, yeah, the little business where I was like, look, I will sit down with you and, and I will help you to write your personal statement and I will help you do interview practice. Give me 15 pound and people will pay it. And so I would do that and it built up. Uh, and then when I was in work, I would go and I would host events for the workplace. I go, look, if you ain't got, if you ain't got the capacity, I'll host it. And obviously I use my little bit of comedy and people are like, right, isn't that the guy from accounts? But don't watch that. Don't watch that still. Um, but they'd still come back and they'd ask me, oh, that was, you were really confident about doing that. Can you kind of help me? So um, I realized even though I was doing my main core businesses, I was kept on getting pulled back to speak, to talk to people about careers. And at the same time, I was still, I've always in my heart, I've always loved working with young people. Like I just see young people, I'm like, how can I pass on the talk to that next generation um, to kind of like, not only do as well as me, but do better and learn um, from my mistakes and do better. I mean, we spoke about this when we met anyway. Um, um, and uh, and so it just so happened that I got to a point in my early thirties and I realized I can't work for people. Because people are why? Me, why can't I work for people? Why is, what are you tell me what to do for? Tell me I got I got to work late. Like, are you mad? Why can't you work on a Saturday? Because I go to church. Can't you take one week out? What for you? You ain't paying me enough. I literally like people used to argue with me. I'm like, I'm going home. And I remember people used to say, You can't you can't go early now. Time. I said, Would you tell me that if I was Jewish? I said, would you tell me that if I was Jewish? Well, you're not Jewish. I said, yeah, but um, I, I observe a Sabbath. So you need to respect that. And and I realized I didn't want to be in this space where I'm fighting with people about time off work. I didn't want to be in a space where when I wanted to go on holiday, I got to beg you for five to 10 days worth of workout. And don't get me wrong. I had some fabulous, I, I, I raised my hand up and said, I had some fabulous boys. I had some trashy ones as well. But in the main, I had some fabulous bosses, but I don't like people telling me what to do. Madeline I can tell. You, Madeline, my good wife, will tell you that, right? She was like, yeah. we don't bring me in, but don't tell me what to do. The moment you tell me what to do, my, my back goes up. But my but my question to that is, it's 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 an interesting thing because I resonate with that. I'm very similar, but in the same in that same breath, mm -hmm. how did you learn the skills that you've learned? So of course you had a natural ability to teach people how to do interviews, but there must have been some learning along the way where you had to listen to someone. Oh yeah, yeah. That's I. If I was, sometimes people describe me as a motivational speaker, and I say they actually missed the point. What I am, I'm a motivational listener. I listen more than I speak because I learn. I learn so much. Mm. So I, when I, if I'm doing an interview like what I'm doing here, or as you saw me hosting or speaking or what have you, I'll do that. But I spend the majority of my time learning. Like I would be here to come into London and I would have listened to a podcast for an hour and a half all the way in. Got you. Okay. And I'm driving down the road and I'm listening to audiobooks and podcasts and music and they're constantly learning from other people. Mm. So you learn techniques and I just and you, and I love to sit at the feet of people. Like I both of my girls brilliant at TikTok and, and IG, right? I don't really use them because I don't trust them doing things on my phone anyway. But I sit down and I watch, like, what are you doing? Like why is it so easy? Like clickety click, block, block. Like we did. Mm. And then I just learn. And I just learn and I'm constantly learning. And and there are times where I realize if I can't do that, I'll learn it. And if I don't have the energy to do it, I'm going to get somebody to do it for me. But I still need to mm. know exactly how it works. So okay. yeah, it's always around, always around learning. And even if I take, if I take speaking, for example, mm. there, are, there are a number of things that I've done that have really helped me to be a good speaker. I've done stand-up comedy. I've learned how to do impromptu to speak on the, on the spot. 
I learned I learned how to do um, the Alexander technique around stretching and your whole body posture. I've done amateur dramatics. I've done spoken word. I've done storytelling nights. I've joined speakers clubs. I wow. used to church. I used to go and do the okay. stuff on the on the uh, on the youth speaking circuit. And um, I've done three TEDs, TEDxes. So all these things for me are learning. I'm constantly having this stuff being um, uh, uh, honed. And, and as I say, I've never, I will never stop learning how to be a speaker. I'll never stop. <coughs> Excuse me. I'll never rest on my laurels. I'm always, always learning. So sometimes people will think, oh my gosh, it looks so easy to you. I'm like, Bridget, I've been doing it for 30 something plus years. Uh, constantly, constantly learning and constantly uh, getting better. Podcasting, I sit down and I listen to how people do their stuff and how they edit and chop it up and all the way. The tonality, always, always learning. So for me, I, I call myself a, an, an eternal student. Um, until I leave this mortal planet, I'm always going to be learning, always learning. So I learn from other people. I learn on the job and there are times where I'll go on training and have that deliberate learning as well. I appreciate that. I appreciate the honesty and the openness as well to that. Um, and I feel like that's probably why you're so credible because you've clearly learned and built up your expertise over time. One of, I guess, one of the questions that I, I, I want to know about actually is your speaking, like speaking expertise. So tips that you can kind of share for individuals. So within my community, there's a lot, of various individuals that have expertise in different areas, mm-hmm. but they a lot of them struggle to articulate them and articulate their expertise in a way that is compelling, engaging. And sometimes when I've done talks, as much as I might feel like I'm engaging, mm-hmm. I've spotted moments where I've lost the audience and I'm like, what do I do? Like, do I tell a joke? Like, <laughs> how do I bring them back? So what are some of the key things you've learned about being a compelling, effective speaker? So again, for me, always learn, always be learning. Okay. Like, there's a lot of TED talks that are just dry, like people in their little chinos and their little one jumper from, I don't know, wherever they got it from and they're going up there and speaking some stuff. But I look at that and I go, what's the bits that compelling? What's the story that's being told? Let me see about the pace. If they tell a joke, sorry, if they say something funny, are they telling a joke or are they telling a story? Which is very different, right? Are they just doing that one-liner or are they taking people on a journey and giving them the hook and then bringing them in and dropping them out? And I also listen to a lot of rap, all right? a, lot, a lot of hip-hop historically. And you can go and listen to, from Eminem to Jay-Z, from Lil Wayne to Kendrick Lamar, from De La Soul to Tribe Called Quest to Africa Bambata, to Moni Love, to Queen Latifah, to Missy Elliott, one of my favorites, hands down. And you listen to all these individuals and you see they've all got different styles. Some will rap on staccato, some will be more a bit lazy, a bit laid back and what have you. But I look at that and I learn it. Because let's say, for example, in church, a lot of it is call and response. So I'm going to speak to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is everybody with me? Can I get an amen? Da, 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 da. You see that Martin Luther King does that in his speeches. Call and response, he's singing. The sentences never really end. And even when you listen to like a little Wayne, he doesn't even really finish the end of his sentence. He's just bouncing around. He's bouncing Kendrick as well. That real kind of bounce in there. And I look at that and I go, oh. I just saw what you did there. You just switched mm-hmm. it up. You dropped a verb in where somebody was expecting an adverb, or you dropped in a little metaphor or a simile. And I mm-hmm. look at all these things and I go, wow, there's so much I can actually learn from that. Mm-hmm. So I say to people, when you're thinking of speaking, think of the breadth of what that speaking looks like, whether it's a podcast, a video on YouTube, a speech on TED, uh, whatever it is, go and have a look at the variety. But I also say, don't beat yourself up about losing the crowd because mm-hmm. the if you've done your practice and if you understand your audience, one of the things you realize is that you're always going to lose people. There's always going to be somebody that ain't engaged. Okay. But focus on if I was in the audience, yourself, if I'm sitting in the audience, what is it that I would like to hear that would make a difference for me? And we've got to remember as well that people tune in and out. No one's sitting down there for, totally locked on you for the best part of the time. No matter how funny you are, no matter how engaging you are, they'll come yeah. in, but our brain, our lizard brain will go off. Did That's I leave fair. the dishwasher on? Did I leave the iron on? Oh my God, did I re- respond to that text? That person was mm-hmm. looking. did I respond to them? Like, your mind's just going off. And then yeah. you come back in, and that's okay. Just think about those times on your communication that you've got people. And I remember I always shared a story. I was speaking at a bank many years ago, 
And I remember I was going in, I'd done my audience homework, learned a couple of in-jokes, busting up the people, making them laugh and really kind of they were like, how did he know this stuff? One guy sitting in the audience, four rows in front of me. My man was looking at me through the whole presentation, did not crack a smile, did not crack a smile. My man, I was like, I'm going in hard, brother. I'm giving you the funniest rep repertoire here ever. Yeah. After the speech now, people come up to me to have a conversation. My man comes to me and he shakes my hand, face didn't crack. He said to me, do you know what? He goes, thank you very much, David. He said, that was the funniest speech I've ever heard in my life. I'm like, bro, like, what? I'm sorry, I find that so funny. And he like to me, and when you said this, I found this hilarious. I'm looking at me like, Bridget, I'm like, you find out hilarious and your face is still straight. <laughs> I ain't fighting with you today. I ain't fighting with you. But like, oh. One thing I will say is never beat up, beat up ourselves about our audience, but practice your craft really well mm. so that at least one person in the audience can take away something from what you say. That's all, all I say. All I, I, don't, I, I never, I don't like, like, you know when people do that, do that standing over, I hate standing ovations. Right. I, I want you to walk away from there with one thing that makes you go, I didn't realize that. Oh, let me go and act on it. I don't want a standing ovation. That's for my ego. What does that serve? I'm getting paid anyway. But then question on that as well. How do you quantify the value in your in your talks how do you is it from testimonials and feedback or is it because a workplace has performed better off the back of your, your talk how do you quantify the, the roi when people tell me okay the feedback this is definitely feedback okay i'll always say to somebody okay like sometimes i'll do a presentation and i'll go i'll go i'm going to be really open with you now tell me what worked what really resonated with you here so I'll go, oh, we love your storytelling, love your humor, da 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 Okay, okay. I'll go, tell me how I can do better. How can I do better? You speak very fast. Sometimes you use a little bit of a slang. I didn't like it when you swore, da 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 And I go, okay, fine. It's cool. I'll take on board. Take on board. I ain't going to stop swearing because that's just who I am and I offer permission. It's cool. Um, and then one thing that's really notable, and then people will come back and go, I didn't realize this. This is what's going to make the difference in da da Like, for example... When we when we met at Radar, four mm. people came to me afterwards and they said, you know what, I I when you first went up there, I didn't take you seriously. But when you started to give us tips about networking, mm. really made it, I said, no one will tell you that you should not have damp hands when you're out there shaking people's hands. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't know if you were there. I was just like, I was like, all you look, just if your hand is damp, go and wipe it. Wipe it. Or in your trousers or in your pants or in your skirt. Wipe your hands. <laughs> Because when you go and touch somebody with a wet hand, it's nasty. And first yeah. impression, you know. And they may look in your face and they say, oh, nice to meet you. In turn, they're like, why are your hands so dirty on <laughs> Do you know what? I've never really thought about that. It's Because it happens, but I don't really think about it. My thing is dry lips. That as well. Why yeah, dry lips. Me? And I'm seeing review lips. Yeah, you know the white the white corners, and I, I think in the corner of the middle. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's come on. I can't focus on anything you're saying if I can see the white corners. No, that's all. Or you know, go in and lick the thing. And I said, you know, the other thing as well. I said, don't go in and crush people's hands when you're shaking their hands. There was some, there was some man in there, right? There were some guys in there with their big with their t shirt that don't fit them, right? With their big everlasting muscle. They got muscle on top of the muscle. And then when they come and shake your hand, you just feel your whole soul leave your hand and come up to your wrist. Right? The whole thing gone. And your hand, you've got like temporary paralysis. Because they crack, crack a sh I'm like, calm down. Shake my hand firm, but don't broke up my soul. They don't mean to do it, though. You know that. They're just strong. That's the point, right? That's the point to me. I use humour as a way of saying to individuals, be self-aware of how yeah. you communicate with people. Got that's you. what you're going to remember. Because here's Got the you. thing. You may take it for granted in a place where we go and joke and have that banter there. What happens when you go to a professional space, when you're traveling elsewhere, I say professional space, when you're doing it as part of a corporate conference or you're somewhere else and you continue that same behavior and you're not aware of it, but it shuts down the way that people actually think about you. True. 
if you don't present well, if you lip them dry, if you've got kakajay in your eye, if you got you know, whatever, all those things can make a subtle impression as to whether mm. or not you take yourself very seriously. So I use land the point, but the point I'm making is very, very serious. Mm, I love that style and approach. I feel like if I could choose my style and approach, that would be it. Because I'm not, a, I feel like I'm not very, very serious person like that. But there's still serious points to be made, if that makes sense. So that is, um, yeah, yeah. I admire that about about how you deliver talks. So I won't lie. I, I, I think it's I think it's brilliant. Um, one one question that I do have is, um, you've managed to build really good credibility and a really good personal brand over time and I know you said that you've had opportunities kind of come to you um but are are there any particular secrets or things that you've done to really be able to get three TEDx talks to be in the house of lords to speak internationally to have all these accolades and to have a consistent personal brand that's growing to this day like what are some of the secrets to to getting where you have got today let me put one out there that I'm going to just, some people have an issue with it, but I'm going to put it in. I'm lucky. I've been lucky. Honestly, I'm going to put it out there because sometimes people are like, oh, I built my business and, you know, I did it from the ground up and I worked 27 hours in the day, even though they, like, calm down. Sometimes you're lucky. I was born in a community that allowed me, that gave me the fortune to be able to have this sense of confidence. Mm. So my speaking was something that was nurtured from quite early. So by the time I arrived where I could start to deliver that stuff consistently, I already had years in the bank, all right? Um, I'll give you two examples. So one of them was TED, all right? And I wanted to go to TED Global. And I was like, I was talking to a couple of people across the African continent. And I was like, they were like, yeah, there's a co- conference in, in TED. And I was like, I'd really like to go. I went to a conference with a friend of mine and I did a presentation. And he said, and I want you to meet a friend of mine, another friend of mine who was there, and his name was Ben. Ben is this guy who was one of the few people to ski solo to the North Pole at the time, and then he skied solo to the South Pole. And I, I'm happy for him because I'm warm, right? But if you want to go in the snow and, and, and Antarctica and North Pole, go and ski all you want. But it was fascinating. And he said, I really like your style. I like your cadence. I like the way you talk. And then we started talking about TED. And I said, I'm sure you did a TED talk, didn't you? And he said, yeah, I spoke about my exhibition. I said, yeah, I'm I'm really keen to go to, uh, it was Tanzania at the time. Really keen to go there. I said, but boy, four grand. Mm, I'm not sure. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure. Um. He goes, don't worry about that, man. He goes, I know the guy who runs TED. Just put an email together and I'll drop in a line for you. Dropped a line for me. I got a fellowship. So I didn't have to pay. The only thing I had to pay for was my flights. And our brethren came in and said, listen, I hear you're going. If you need some help with the little flights, Dave, I can come and I can, because I know what you're going to go and do. That's luck and timing. Not everybody gets that. However, I will say what it's meant for me is that I like to put myself now in the place that I can make it lucky for other people. Mm. So I'll give you a second example. Mm. I was doing a lot of work. I've always done a lot of work around business as well as you, as you picked up. And, and I've always liked, I've always realized that some people get, gassed about entrepreneurship i'm like it's hard work bloody hard work um but i remember i was doing this thing and it was they were called enterprise something or the other and anyway they were doing really well and then virgin media came along and decided that they wanted to have that as part of their brand virgin startups so one day i'm sitting with my friend natalie nat is an amazing woman she's the coach ceo of blue water b-e-l-u water and she's also actually, she's also recently the vice chancellor of the University of Westminster. Love that. Only one of four black women in the country. And um, we were talking, we we're having some banter. I said, you know, we're really good on this now. I said, one day I'll sit down and I'm going to chat to Richard Branson because i got like two or three of his books in my library. I love what he's done. And, she's, mm. and she said, well, who knows, Dave, it might happen. Within a month, right? I'm in his yard. There was an ex- There was a conference up at Richard Branson's yard in Oxford, and I was asked to interview him as part of the Virgin Startups. No way! Me and that man sat down and we had, back. I was like, do I call you sir or Richard? He goes, oh, you don't have to call me sir. I was like, I wasn't gonna call you that anyway. I just wanted to see how your reaction was. <laughs> and we had this banner to the point where we're sitting down and there was, there was a journalist and he was like, oh, he's just gonna ask me about drugs. I don't wanna talk to him, Dave. Let's just continue talking about what we're talking. 
and we just had this great chat. And then for three years consecutively, they used to have this competition and people would come and they would go to pitch ideas to him. I was the guy who coached them. We'd have conversations. The two of us would have banter on stage. What? But it was Natalie. Natalie was the person who put me in that place. So there's somebody that I loved and admired for a long time. Yeah. made it happen. But what it was is that when she made it happen, I was ready when I went into that space. Got you. And so when I think about a lot of the things that have happened, again, like, my uh, where we were at on on um uh, in, in uh, on Tuesday, so Dean Forbes and the Forbes family group many years ago. My friend Dwayne Dwayne Reed came to me and he goes, "I really love you to meet this guy because he, you know some of the stuff that he wants to do with his foundation. I think you should talk to him." Mm. So one day we end up we meet in town. I hear about this guy, I do my homework, like this really successful multi-millionaire guy. We go for a lovely dinner in Quaglinos. I don't know if you've ever been badass restaurant in, <laughs> up in in somewhere. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not there yet, so I don't know. It's a place to aspire to go to. But anyway, we go there, we have this fantastic conversation. And this is what, 10 years ago? Um, maybe, maybe yeah, but yeah, about 10 years ago. And literally connected ever since. And then he was like, all right, I want you to be on my board as a non-executive and I want you to come and do some stuff. And he goes, I know you can bring some stuff. I He had his, he had his 40th birthday party. I emceed the actual party that was there. Um, you know, and I've seen him as he's grown the business and both the foundation and his core business. And again, that was timing. My friend introduced us, but Mm. what it meant was that because I knew I could go and deliver when I was made available to go in that room, I delivered and I brought my game. I brought my A game. So for me, it's, it really is about knowing what you're good at, knowing that it takes time. All right. And that's a key thing as well. Like I also, I say this to my daughters, my daughters are 25 and 21. And I'm like, in your 20s, you don't know shit. Sorry, pardon my language. I'm swearing on your podcast. You don't know sugar, honey, iced tea. All right. <laughs> don't, know, don't know stuff. But yeah. you're always learning. I said, I'm 50 and I still don't. I'm, I was saying to you, well, I'm 50 before. I'm in my 50s and I still, as much as I think I know stuff, there's so much stuff I don't know. So mm. always be curious, always be learning and always take the opportunity. And I'll give you, I'll quick, quickly switch out here. So I remember my daughter wanted to be an actress, my eldest. Mm. And she's good, but I'm like, boy, this is a tough game, you know. It's a tough oh. game. If you want to go there, you've got to be obsessed and go for it if that's what you really want to do. And she was doing it, top of her class, da 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 big fish in a small pond. And then one day, I had a friend of mine, and I was saying, my daughter wants to get into acting. I said, but I, I think I'd love her to see, like, working with you, you know, um, what that would look like. And she said, oh. she did production, but she was working in banking. She saw me speaking. She heard me talking. We connected. I said, I'd really like to introduce you to my daughter. She said, yeah, fine. We're doing a production. And, I, oh. and her, her partner's been like on Midsummer Murders and all these kind of other things. I didn't even know at the time. Anyway, I was just like, just go and do your thing. My daughter gets to meet her. And she comes back to me and she's like, Dad, I think I'm going to be behind the camera instead of in front of it. Because this is where I really love doing it. Fine. Go forward. Boom, boom, boom. She goes to go and do a degree. Cinematography and um, uh, sc- um, um, filming and cin- cinematography. She gets to come and work with me on one of the Richard Branson projects, which we're filming, wow. we're doing this stuff. Um, and what it means is that she can put it on her um, application to uni. They see her ambition, what she's going to do, plus the woman that I've introduced. She oh. gets into uni, she goes to do work experience. I said, go and meet some people. Because from time she was with me, I said, you go out and we're going to go network. You're going to go and meet people. Like from 12, I brought my kids out. I'm going, I'm going to be, I love that. I'm going to be out there. Go and talk. I want you to build that mm. confidence from now. Mm. So anyway, we go and she gets into her, I'm going to say her third year. Yeah, her third year. And they got to do a bit of work experience. She goes to do this work experience. And she works with this guy in Sky. Connects with him really well. Shows up. She works hard. Take the instruction that me and, and Madeline gave her, my wife. And this guy goes, look, I'm, I'm doing another project and I want you to be on it. It's a BBC America show. Um, Amazing. I don't know what it is, but I'd love you to be on it. Can you come and work? She said, yeah, fine. It's in the summer. You'll be a runner. You'll just be working and you just got to run errands. The show was Killing Eve. No way. So she goes and she's a runner on Killing Eve. That's point, amazing. To the point now, Sandra O oh is like, I want you on this set with us. And she's like, I've got to go back and finish my degree. She says, Dad, what do I do? I'm like, listen, don't rack up 27 grand worth of debt just to go that I didn't finish it. Finish mm. the thing, get it in the bag. If they want you that badly, they'll have you. She goes back, she goes and does her role. She gets another role. She works on um, sex education. She goes and works on, 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 that, on that thing. And then the last series 
of um, uh, Killing Eve, she becomes one of the assistant directors. So she's made her way up. No way. Directors. There's a scene on, let me tell you this now. I've got a spoiler now. There is, a, on the last episode of Killing Eve, there's a mm. wedding party and people are doing the candy dance. It's two-step. Mm. Sandra O oh dances down the middle of the aisle. And if you look carefully on the camera behind there, you'll see a black couple, one in a blue suit and one in a red dress. And that's me and Madeline dancing on the TV screen because my daughter, who was the second assistant director, put us to the front of the line and got us dancing. And, and I say again, it's luck and timing. Yeah. She was able to get in there, but because she got in and got that network, it's been powerful and she's done some amazing, incredible stuff. And again, you know, even with my youngest daughter doing the same thing. So a lot of it is this, look, do your craft. Do what you do really well, but also be in a space where you ask questions. Like you took a punt and you asked for us to be on here. Mm. That's a punt. That's there are people who I'm telling you now. There are people who will say to me, "Oh, I'd really like to ask you, but I know you're busy and I'm not sure if you'd do it." I'm like, "But you still ask me." Mm. I'll give you one of two answers. No, I'm too busy, right? Or yes, let me see if I can do it later. Mm, and those mm. are the two answers I'm going to give you. If it aligns with what I'm doing, let me see what I can do. And you asked yeah. me, and I remember you came and asked me the question. I'm like, I'm going to invest in, in what you do. It's, yeah. it's not, I'm taking time out of my day, but it's an investment for me for what you're doing for the next level. And you took a chance. You took a punch. Appreciate it. Yeah. Cool. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And I love, I mean, with both what you and Madeline are doing, I feel, I wish I first of all knew about you from a long time ago mm. as well. I only recently discovered you both and I thought you're both doing incredible things. And I wish there was more of you around because we lack that in the black community. I'm trying to be one of those people, hopefully in the future, but we, we lack that. You are now. I'll tell you that. I encourage you, you are now. Okay. I, I receive it. I receive right. it. I know, so, <laughs> I know that um, you also have the Black Founders Hub. Yes. as well mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about that and how um how that helps black founders and yeah. how to potentially get involved so the idea was is especially in the pandemic we found that um it, there, there was one thing there, there two things actually one of my co-founders came to me because i wanted to set up a incubator for tech companies in the black community i was like i want to create wealth what do i do let's create some tech companies get some investment blah, 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 blah. so a couple of things that happened it's very difficult to raise funding in Europe, um, primarily because you need to be connected either in the Oxford, Cambridge, LSE, all those, you know, Brussels Group universities. And they don't give a lot of black money to black people. And I thought, well, you know, I've got a decent reputation. Let me see if I can go in there and raise some stuff. But I looked around and I was like, mm, this is just going to be, this is, not a, this is not the fight I want to have. And I want to find a different way of doing it. And so a little while after I rolled that up, I was talking to one of my co-founders. I was like, I still want to do something around business, but it's not going to be as capitalist intensive as the incubator. What do you reckon? She said, I've been talking to someone else, a friend of mine, she sold her company, exited for X amount of million. And I think it'd be really good for the three of us to come together and do this. And I was like, yeah, no, let's run with the idea. And one of the things that came up for me is that I realized when I'm, especially in the corporate spaces that I work in, there are not a lot of black suppliers who work in that space. Okay. Mm. And a lot of mine has been because I was a speaker, I was able to go into spaces and people were like, oh, can you give us something more than you're speaking? Do you do programs? And I could build from that. But then I was like, I don't want to be the only person in that space. I don't like that. I don't like being the only one. I don't even like the concept of being a first or anything. I just want to just get in there and do the thing. And what we realize is that for a lot of companies to get into your organizations, you need to be VAT registered. And in order to be VAT registered, you need to be making over 80 grand, 85 grand a year in order to have that. Just, just if that's your normal income. So I'm like, I'm doing the maths and I'm like, well, people may not be, well, I mean, I was VAT registered long before I made 85 grand because I'm like, I want people to think that I'm making that money. Right? You can make your own story, but I just want people to think that way. Mm. I remember going in and I realized there were a lot of people who just weren't doing that. So our main thing was, is how can we encourage enough black owned businesses to make a hundred grand a year? And if we can get 10 of us making a hundred grand a year, we've made a mill. Mm. so how do you do that it's interesting you talk about the point of being VAT registered um because I'm not and I actually had a client this week email me to ask me why I'm not and I was like I don't, don't. 
Is that, is that your business? Can we ask that? And um, I never, I've never actually thought about the credibility that being VAT registered, for example, can have on your business. Yes. So it's, a, it's an interesting point that you bring up. But how do you help black businesses um, so 100,000 plus? Yeah. So we, we do one of two things. We have a mastermind group. Okay. And the mastermind group allows individuals who are already trading to be able to come in and go, right, I'm going to commit to a year. And in that year, I'm going to hold myself accountable to a group of about five or six other black owned businesses. And I'm going to talk about marketing. I'm going to talk about my sales and my income stream. I'm going to be very honest about how much money I'm actually making. I'm going to have a, a challenge about it. And I'm not going to do that thing where I'm holding all the cards to myself and focusing on, um, you know, just trying to run my way through with it. Mm. Um, so my thing is, is look, there are ways and means of making a hundred grand. Uh, okay, so give me an example. Just give me an example of your core business and what your core service is. Sure. So helping employers advertise jobs through content creators. Okay. So there are, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say recruitment, right? I'm going to say recruitment or talent. Let's just, to, yeah. in my simple mind. So there are, there are, through, through the, so you're doing it through content creators, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So... On the one hand, you are getting individuals to to um, to be able to promote those jobs, but on the other hand, they, they, it so you're you're saying to recruiters, I can work with content creators for you, but on the other hand, there's also a service to say to content creators, listen, bro, I can provide you with an income stream and I can show you how to do this. This is the wording you need to think about. All right, so you've got two income streams already: one for the recruiters, one for the talent. On top of that, you can start speaking about it. You can say to people, right? I'm going to charge £1,500 to tell you the secrets of stuff that I've learned, how I've helped people to be able to earn money, all right? Let's just say for the sake of argument, you do mm. 50 of those in a year, all right? Speeches, mm. And you really kind of like go out and you really make an effort to do that. Even with those 50 speeches, you're halfway there already, okay? And then you may go, right, I'm going to do an online course because some people may want the basics of this. Let me give you the real basics of this. And for £97, I'll put it on, I, I don't know, udemy or you know whatever the learning platform is and oh. i will take you through the step-by-step process i've literally given you five revenue streams the recruiter for the 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 um the content creator um your speaking uh course creation and, and probably some consulting right imagine at a, at a at the lowest level possible for all oh. those five streams you set oh. yourself a target of making 20 grand for all five of those that's 100 oh. grand so in theory yes that sounds fantastic yes practically how how can someone go about client acquisition effectively because i'll be a hundred percent with you i have done new business and of course we know that that we get a lot of no's we get a lot of maybes or laters so in theory yeah if everyone says yes and we can get those talks and we can get those bookings then great I can make that money but then how do you effectively um, manage client acquisition and that's not just for me that's for other people in my network that might have that question as well it's a graft it's a real graft and one of the things I did that really helped me in my business is whoever I work with and if I do a really good job I need you to recommend two to three people who you think would really benefit from it that saves me marketing if I've done my work really well I want you to refer me to two to three people because that is, if I go and do one piece and I can get two, even if I get one out of those three, that's still saving me a hell of a lot of money on marketing. So when I go and I speak, I say to, I say to clients, if you think that was really well, literally recommend. And I go like, if I speak at conferences and what have you, I can guarantee you that I will walk off that stage with at least two pieces of business, hands down. Guarantee you. Some people will come in and they're like, oh, come in. I'm like, you can't afford me. And I joke about it on stage. I'll say to them, look, if you want me to come and do your stuff, I'll, let me be let me be um, transparent with you on the podcast. You can go online and go to the agency that Madden set up to manage my speaking. And you'll see my speaking. It's called Q Talent Management, right? You go to Q Talent Management, you see David McQueen, you see the four areas that I speak on, and you go on there and you click, and nobody else does this in the market. But you go and click on my name, and it will say, to get David to speak for you, the fee range is 7500 to £10,000 for that one hour's worth of a speech. And I blatantly put it out there. 
And I'm letting people know because it's going to go up to 20 grand. It's going to go up. By the time I finish, it's probably going to be, by the time I finish really kind of like charging people speaking, I'll probably not be leaving my house for anything less than about 75 grand. I'm looking at your speaker list now as well. How do you, um, okay, so. Do you see that there? It's blatantly there. Yeah. I'm not hiding it from anybody. That's why I say, if you can't afford me, keep it moving. But there are people who will pay seven and a half grand for a chair or a piece of furniture. So again, it's about priorities, right? It's about priorities. And it's also about being able to kind of segment who is a specific target market that I want to work with. So my main clients tend to be in banking and technology. All right. They pay money. They pay me. They don't, they don't business. So not that they don't business is that they know where the value is coming from. So because I've doubled down, think about, go back to what we had the conversation with at the beginning of this, of this podcast. I worked in accounting and I worked in technology. So it makes sense that if I've got commercial, I go back again, who are those people who deal with money and who are the people who deal with technology, banking, insurance, what have you, and then tech firms and media firms. So for me, I've literally been consistent for the best part of the last 20 or 20 or so years. So find out where you really, really want to niche them. Don't go too wide. Sometimes people go too wide. Go in and go, right, I am going to be your recruiter and I'm going to work in, I'm just giving you as an example. I'm going to work in uh, pharmaceuticals and I'm going to double that or I'm going to work in aeronauts or uh, in aerospace or I'm going to work in insurance. And you double down on that area and you start to be in those spaces. You blog about it. You hashtag people on LinkedIn. You do that kind of stuff on Instagram or TikTok or whatever the platforms are that you're really good at. You start to talk about that and why um, getting hold of Gen Z or, or, or whatever generation is different now because they're going and they're looking at TikTok. This is a way that you can kind of like pick those um, uh, up that talent really well while everybody's spending loads of money and pissing in the wind in some other kind of job board. We literally have got this content space where you know we've already got 14 billion eyes looking in that space already. And then you oh. double down. And then when oh. you get that, you go, okay, um, if, as a client, once you've got that client in the bag, two or three people who you'd really benefit from, or it even might be that you have on uh, on any one of those platforms, you have a specific um, referral or affiliate scheme. So if somebody refers you, you give them the 10% fee of what you're, you're actually getting as well. But niche down, be really clear about what your offering is, and then you just go in that direction. That's so powerful, like so helpful. I almost, I'm, I forgot that this is being recorded. No, I thought I was in a session with my, with my business coach for a second. That is so helpful. Thank you so, so much. Out of interest, for those interested in speaking as a career, are you people like myself? I'm very straightforward. What what um what can they do if they want to be represented in Q talent management? What's the criteria? What's the process? Um, how can they get in touch? So at the moment. If I'm really honest, we're not taking on any new talent at the moment because we've got like a little bit of a backlog. And what I want to do, I don't want somebody, I'm not the person that just has somebody sitting on the page because it looks good. I want to be able okay. to drive with me. So at the moment, what we're doing is we're doubling down on the existing talent that we have to really drive revenue for them and really push them in the direction of getting that revenue. So at the moment, we're, we're not taking on a new. However, what we also say is, look, there are a number of other speaker agencies that are out there who are doing mm. stuff. And in order to be able to do that, there's some simple things that you need. Have you got a showreel? And what I mean by that, could you demonstrate whether it's on a a live gig where you're speaking or you're running your own seminar or you've got a podcast or you've got a vlog? Because there's one thing I love about digital media now, it gives you the opportunity to show not just being in front of an audience, but you can do other stuff as well and show that reach. What is it that you put in there that is key to your specific subject that you're focusing on? And do you have one specific subject that you know that if somebody came and um, that you went on stage to talk about, no one can come in there and question the experience and the knowledge that you have. And you double down on that. So having that kind of showreel, um, um, having some headshots um, of yourself, black and white and in color, um, either live or preferably just, you know, with the headshot, and then a simple summary of what it is, and going and have and pitching it to a number of other agencies that are out there and saying um, to them, look, I'm here's some evidence of what it is that I've done. I want to be able to take it to the next level. How can you help me? How can you help me? Speakers Corner, JLA, 
expert speakers, impact. There's loads. If you carefully look, there's loads out there. Qtalent at the moment, as I said, it's, it's, I, it, it grinds my gears at the moment because I'm, I'm going to have to take on some new talent in order to be able to kind of like really push out and, and get people doing that but I, and getting them paid. But I also say this as well. The, the one thing that we, we're really doubling down on Q as well is we're, we're creating content in-house as well. So we're got going, you. it's great to go out and go and get paid to go and do a speech, but how can we also help you to create a vlog or a podcast so that you mm. can get sponsorship or advertising or what have you? Because there are some people who are really great, brilliant speakers, but they're terrified of standing in front of a stage. Give them a mm. microphone on Riverside or put them on YouTube and they're good to go because they're behind the screen or what have you. They don't have to. That might be your way of speaking. So find out exactly what the, the era is that you're really good and then go and find yourself some really good talent agencies and um, some good people. And, 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 and anybody who's in that agency, go and have a conversation with them. How, how was their experience? Are they making money? Are they doing good? And double down on that. And, um, and if, they, if you're, the chemistry with the agency works with you, then you go and deliver it and build on that. Does that make sense? Thank you. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I'm... Um take a note for myself as well that's really really useful and, and very important and I know that a lot of listeners are going to find that advice helpful because there's just small things that we don't think about in regards to how we can brand and present ourselves and how we can build up I guess credibility before even going out to agencies so that's super helpful and um yeah thank you so much I usually ask everyone to leave a note for listeners as like one piece of advice I feel like you've given so much so I don't know if you have anything else left in you as like one thing for community members to remember and to know. So I have a lot of people that have loads of different ideas, capabilities in in my community. And I always like to leave them with some type of word of wisdom or advice from podcast guests. So do you have anything that you'd like to say? Build your tribe. That's one of the most important things I would say. Build your tribe. Um, the, the, I mentioned at the beginning around teens ministry and what have you. I've forever been building my tribe. I've got a men's group, 20 of us, 20 of us black guys. We check in every single day on Telegram and we meet up once a month for food. Talk about our marriages, our children, our challenges. Um, some having to run away from bad woman. Right? All, all the banter and all the rest of it. But we, we're accountable. We keep each other accountable and we're not afraid to speak truth to power. I also have a group that I'm in and there's five of us. We all run our own kind of like consultancies and we're always pushing each other to do and build really well. So find your tribe and you may have more, that tribe may be more than one group, but that tribe should include the following. People who can open doors for you, people who will champion you. And so they're not going to be like, you don't want somebody in your tribe who's jealous of your success. If you're in my tribe, oh. and you're making a million pounds, I'm happy for you. If I'm mm -hmm. making hundred thousand pounds, I'm still in your I'm still in your group. I may not have that 10 million pound energy, but I'm still in your group and we can learn from each other. If mm -hmm. I am jealous of your success, why am I in the tribe? Why 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 would you if you've got five kids and I've only got one, why would I be jealous mm -hmm. of you? If you've been married for years and I've been only married for three, why would I be jealous of you? Mm -hmm. If I'm jealous of you, I should never be in your tribe. If yeah. I'm envious of you and don't want all the best for you, I should never be in there. And so for okay. me, I always surround myself with people who are um, who are not afraid to critique, critique me. And I know I've got a big voice and a big mouth and what have you. Um, but I say to people, I'm, I'm, I'm always here to learn. If you disagree with me, tell me disagree with me. Why, don't apologize. Don't tell me no offense. Just tell me as you see it. And then we just build. Um... And so for me, there's something around having that tribe who will champion you, who will critique you, who will open doors, and who will always want you to succeed build that mm. nothing else because one of the i know one of the things that we mentioned quite earlier you were mentioning about me and madeline often people say oh my goodness you know you you guys are quite unique and you're quite rare in that space because you're doing that stuff and i go if there's one thing you need to learn from us is that where we go so madeline's got a compass club she's got her uh, her other communities as well as, as us mm -hmm. we build our tribes and sometimes we you know what it is i tell you this when you know this is really good Sometimes I've built tribes and I've left them because they can survive without me. And I'm absolutely fine with that. Mm. Honestly, there are times where I have dinners and I'll get a group of people around for a dinner because I really, I think, assume people know each other. I'll get anywhere between 10 to 14 people around the table. We'll get some really good food and drink. I'm out of there by nine. Paid the bill, made sure everything's sorted. 
People are staying in there till 10 30. Mm. Changing numbers. I'm not, I don't need to I be love there. That, yeah. I don't need to be there. I was a catalyst. I started it. I don't need to finish yeah. it. Yeah. So build your tribe. And your tribe can be fluid. Sometimes you're going to realize you may build a tribe and you may realize somebody who you thought you could really trust isn't. And that's okay. You just mm. make it really pain. The expectations weren't met. You can still be cool, but you're not going to try. I love that piece of advice. Thank you for sharing that. That's that, that's all about my that's my ethos as well about building communities, building people around you, and um, being strategic and quite strategic with who I place in my life as well. So I feel like that has um, encouraged me to continue going down that path. But um, thank you, David. You share so much in such a short space of time. Um, it's a real pleasure. Yes, absolute pleasure. And you know what I. I, here's, here's my theory, right? There are, I, I love, I love doing this, um, because again, as you said, even though that short space of time is a lot, I can share. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll come back to what you asked me earlier on, with my finger on the cheek or my finger on the chin. People, li- people listen more to what you do and what you say, so you still have to take action. You still have to take action. Mm-hmm. You understand what I mean? You still have to do it. You still have to be in that space where you go, right, am I living my best life? And if not, why not? And who do I need around me to keep me accountable to make sure that I'm doing it? Not just talking about it, but actually doing it. Um, And I'm proud of you. Well done. Thank you, David. You're gonna make me cry. I'm, I get emotional, so thank you. I, I, I appreciate your time and your patience and um, just coming and sharing wisdom with me. I really appreciate it. So thank you so much, and thank you, thank you to everyone who's listened as well. Who's listening? I hope you're all blessed, educated. I hope you feel lucky after this podcast episode, and don't forget to share it um, with anyone who it can help. And um, yeah. I will see you all on the next Black Create Connect podcast episode. And thank you once again, David. Take care. Bye.